Father, your word says that your mercy endures forever. Your word tells us that your mercies are new every day. And Lord, we need your mercy. You've given us so much grace, our nation so much grace, individually, our families, this church. But so often, Lord, we need mercy. We just need you to withstay what we deserve. And Lord, we pray that you would have mercy on our nation, turn it from sin, not just the collective country, but individuals. Bring repentance, salvation, turning people from darkness to light. Our leaders in Washington, Lord, are in darkness. Our state government leaders are in darkness. Our business leaders are in darkness. Hollywood is in darkness. The music industry is in darkness. Academia is in darkness. Our scientific leaders are in darkness, Lord. But Lord, your gospel can pierce the darkest of dark. And Lord, thank you for saving our souls. And we ask that you cleanse us afresh and anew this morning. We may have come in here with bad attitudes. Lord, bitterness, unforgiveness, lust, pride, whatever it is. Lord, you said if your people who are called by your name would humble themselves, then would you hear from heaven and heal the land. So Lord, heal us in this room. We're sorry for our own sins and mistakes, Lord. But we don't just want to say we're sorry. We want to turn from them. And Lord, we ask that you give us the grace to do so. Wash us. Lord, bring healing in this room of relationships, of health, of mental health, of all the things that are needed. Lord, we ask for your healing power on our nation. Lord, our president, we pray you'd heal him. We pray you'd protect those that uh, are in the opposite party, that they can't stand each other. Lord, heal them both, but heal their hearts of sin. Lord, we ask you would just pour out your grace and your mercy and just an awakening and a revival in our nation. And Lord, let it start here in this room this morning and throughout the remainder of these three months. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated, only to stand up in just a second. So this is your exercise. If you can do nothing else today, it is a day of rest, except for when you come to church, you've got to worship. You've already got to raise your hands. You've already got to get on your knees, now you get to open the Bible, kind of like a whole, a whole nine yards. Stretching will be after the service, so John chapter 1, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, we can put one in your hand, but John chapter 1, and once you get there, I'm going to ask you to stand, we want to read these 18 verses standing. John chapter 1, now I'm not going to do a verse by verse, by verse study of these 18 verses. I don't have that time this morning. Today's more of an overview, but I still want to read directly from the book itself and let these words speak to us. Beautiful passage. Why don't you stand with me, John chapter 1, with your Bibles in hand. I'm not going to do responsive reading. We have different translations. I have to have it up on the screen, but I'm going to read. We'll look at this, uh, we'll look at this passage together. Let's pray again. Father, we just ask for your spirit to breathe into this sanctuary, into me, your servant, into us. Breathe these words as we read them into our spirit. Lord, may they sink deep into our soul. In your name we pray. Amen.
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness to him and cried out saying, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness, we have all received grace for grace. That's how much grace you need, grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is the, in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Let's pray again. Lord, we pray again. We ask that Your Spirit would move in our midst. Remove me this morning from the equation that we might hear from Jesus, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Thank You for Your grace. Lord, remove every distraction Trample the enemy underfoot that we might be transformed this morning by your word, by your power, by your presence, by your spirit, by the worship, and by believing and receiving your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated, and this time for good. So, 18 verses, around 300 plus words. That's what I just read. 300 plus words. 311 to be exact in my New King James Bible. And in all the scriptures, you won't find a more comprehensive, powerful, beautiful, and succinct proclamation of the deity, the authority, the life, the mission, and the glory of our Messiah than those 18 verses. There's other ones that are awesome but you won't find a more succinct encapsulation of Jesus and who he is. This is a passage that read on its own without any teaching, no commentary from me or any other pastor. It speaks with a clarity and a conviction that arrests your attention, doesn't it? Like, who else could, who else could you write these words about? George Washington? Napoleon? A pharaoh? Nobody. In fact, the entire book continues in a majestic revelation of Jesus that captivates 
the skeptic and exhorts the already saved. Isn't that good to know? I'm the already saved. How about you? It exhorts me. But maybe you're a skeptic here. I believe this, the book of John will open your eyes. And it's because of the vivid revelation of Jesus found here in chapter 1 and all the way through chapter 21, last chapter, that every time I meet someone who is willing to consider the truth of the Bible or the gospel of salvation, someone, uh, perhaps someone who's newly saved, I always recommend, you'll hear me many times, read the book of John. Read the book of John. This gospel reads as a biographical picture of the miraculous life and the unveiling of Jesus. You'd have to close your eyes and cover your ears not to see the eternal and divine nature of Jesus in this book. You'd have to willingly say, I don't want to see it. I refuse to see it. It's the only way. This book is written in a simple, straightforward recounting of pivotal moments and events in the life and the ministry of Jesus, a number of which are only found in the book of John. Several. I'll give you just a couple. Um, for example, Jesus' first miracle, turning water into wine, only found in the book of John. The beautiful, powerful prayer of John 17, Jesus, only found in the book of John. There's others. Several others. Did you know John, in his humility here, he never refers to himself in the entire book. Not once does John mention himself by name. But he's beyond doubt the author of this book. There's no doubt at all that John is the author. Early church fathers, uh, the early church father Irenaeus, who was a disciple of Polycarp, who was discipled, Polycarp was discipled by the apostle John. But Irenaeus uh, expressly said that the book of John was authored by John. Papias, who was a companion of Polycarp, also wrote that John authored the book of John. Now these guys ought to know, they were there around the same time. Clement of Alexandria recorded that the Apostle John, he says, aware of the facts set forth in other gospels, in the other gospels, being moved by the Holy Spirit, composed a spiritual gospel. Hmm. Interesting, huh? He called it the spiritual gospel. So what's meant by a spiritual gospel? Well, of course, all four of the gospels are spiritual. We all know that, right? They're all spiritual. They're all divine. They're all spirit-filled. They're all centered on Jesus, all four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. This book is based entirely on the eyewitness account of John. Some of the other books have other people's accounts. This is just John's view of everything he saw when he was with Jesus. It's heavily focused on the presentation of Jesus as he taught his unmistakable deity, the remarkable things he said and did, and all of this is outside of parabolic teaching. You see, John's gospel, it differs, uh, it differs from the other Gospels, in the respect, the other Gospels, the synoptics, as are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're called the synoptics, um, meaning they have a general summary or a synopsis. All three of them are written in a similar chronology, similar, uh, similar framework. 
and they all cite parables, whereas John doesn't use parables. It's all what Jesus was actually doing. Does that make sense? The parables, of course, convey great truth. Most of the parables convey true conversion and false conversion, most of them. But John just focuses on the things Jesus did, miracles, his teaching outside of the parables, outside of the use of parables. John's Gospel also contains the largest amount of teaching on the Holy Spirit. Largest amount of teaching on the Holy Spirit. The book is truly a paradox of simplicity and complexity. Simplicity and complexity. Let me give you an example. Uh, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, you guys may have heard the Bible bus years ago on the radio. He had this to say. He said, take an expression like this. Ye in me, don't worry about the eye chart, I'm going to read it for you. Uh, take an expression like this, ye in me and I in you, which appears in John 14, 20. Seven words, one conjunction, two preposition, and four pronouns. So you got English class today, there you go. <laughs> one conjunction, two prepositions, and four pronouns. And you could ask any child in the fourth grade, well not today's kids, but any child in the fourth grade, <laughs> back when education was really focused on Academics today, it's uh, you know all kinds of stuff. But uh, any child in the fourth grade, the meaning of any one of those words, and he could give you a definition. But put, but you put them together, ye and me, and I and you, and neither the most profound theologian or the greatest philosopher has ever been able to probe the depths of the meaning. Ye and me, we know, means salvation, and I and you means sanctification. But beyond that, none of us can go very far. We think sometimes, because we know the meaning of words, we know what is being said. The words are simple, but the meaning is deep. And it is. Just think about it. Ye and me and I and you. Jesus could teach us of that truth for all eternity. Just that one truth for the rest of eternity. Again, I'm going to give you an overview today, more of... Next week we're going to get into verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And we're going to look really at those first five verses next week. But I wanted to give the context of these opening verses, but also the construct of the book of John. And so you just kind of have an understanding, and we'll do that this morning, then we'll take the Lord's Supper. But I just wanted to kind of get your feet wet, and you can invite people, say, hey, we're really getting in the book of John. Next week we really kind of jump into verses 1 through 5, and we want to see these things and depth. But when we think about the depth, the book is deep, the words are deep, even simple phrases like I and you and you and me, we don't say ye anymore, by the way. You can still say y'all, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, I and y'all and y'all and me, but uh, deep, it's in the South anyway, but uh, the words are deep because they're the very words of Jesus, prompted by the will and Spirit of God. The simplicity, on the other hand, even Jesus said we have to become like what? A little child. The simplicity, the simplicity is God speaking directly to man or mankind in words we can understand. It's as if God's getting down to eye level with us. That's the simplicity part. That Jesus himself coming down to eye level to talk to us because we need eye level because we can't comprehend the magnitude and the intelligence of God. And yet John himself he plays a role too. Even though it's Jesus speaking to us throughout the book and God the Father getting eye level with us, John plays a role as God's chosen author. 
And I want to remind you this morning, again, just as God chose John, God has chosen you for things in your life just for you to accomplish. Not because you're extra special or you uh, have any kind of ability that God can use. He chooses each of us to be vessels in his hand. And God chose John to be the author of this book and supplementing the other three Gospels with the eyewitness accounts that give us a wider perspective of Jesus than we would have than we would have if there, if, if there wasn't this fourth and final gospel. His encounters, as I mentioned, uh, some examples of that, uh, take John chapter 3 and John chapter 4. Nicodemus, the woman at the well. Those stories aren't found in the other gospels. Those encounters are only in the book of John. John, imagine a Bible without John 3.16. Well, the only reason we have that is because of the Nicodemus story, and the only reason we have that is because John was given, God says, no, no, there's one more gospel to write. John, you're the only living apostle, write your eyewitness account. Because the other three were already completed. They weren't recorded. Some of these things weren't recorded in the synoptics. This fourth witness becomes invaluable in understanding the scope of the gospel. Not the truth, we already know the truth of the gospel, through Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But we get more of the scope. We get a wider perspective. Understand that Jesus handpicked John the Apostle and trained him for years. Not just when Jesus was on the earth and had the three-year ministry, but he'd been training John for years after Jesus went to heaven and he sent the helper, which we learn about in John 14 through 17, and he sent the helper, and he had been training John for years to be the designated writer. Those of you who know baseball, you have a designated hitter, right? At least in the American League, I guess, right? Uh, but you have a designated hitter. But John was the designated writer of this book. Dr. T.A. Pearson said of John's authorship, it touches the heart of Christ. That John wants us to see the love of God shed abroad. As Jesus seems to allude to, in the final chapter of John's Gospel, John certainly did have a special calling among the apostles. When you, if you want to read ahead, it's okay to read ahead. You can go read the whole book if you want, but if you read ahead and you go all the way to chapter 21, it really does appear that John had a very special calling from Jesus. He outlives all the other apostles. All the others die a martyr's death. He's the only apostle that doesn't die a martyr's death, though the Romans, according to Tertullian, tried to boil him alive in oil. You think your day's been rough. John could say, no, I would have been martyred, but they threw me in a pot of boiling oil and I didn't burn at all. He had a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego experience. He was miraculously unharmed, and the emperor was so angry that he said, well, just send him to the Isle of Patmos which is in the Aegean Sea, which is just, uh, you would have to go east of Greece, there, uh, or, or west of Turkey in the Aegean Sea. As a matter of fact, I think I have it up on the map. There you go. You can take a look yourself. There's where Patmos is. And because he was boiled in oil and wouldn't die, Tertullian says that's where he was banished. Say, so if we can't kill him, just let him die there on the Isle of Patmos. Ultimately, John not only survives, I don't know if you know this, but 
John does not die on the Isle of Patmos. He survives even that. In exile, um, we believe that in Patmos, he obviously was given uh, the last revelation of Jesus, which is what we call the book of Revelation, the final revelation, while he was there in Patmos. But uh, when taking the writings of both Clement and Polycarp, it appears that John lives the remainder of his life in Ephesus, right there in yellow. Ephesus, which is not far. You can see Patmos and Ephesus are rather close to each other. And today when you take those um, uh, Pauline epistle uh, tours of Greece and Turkey, you can go to all of these places, uh, which would be really cool. I'd like to do that one day. Anyone want to go with me? So we can go uh, tour all these places. Yes, so we did Israel. Uh, it would be great to see this. But uh, ultimately, uh, John survives, and, and we believe that according to um, Polycarp and Clement, that he does live out his life in Ephesus there. And uh, Polycarp specifically states that John was advanced in years in living in Ephesus. He specifically says John was in Ephesus when he wrote the book of John and, and advanced in years. And that would have been, again, consistent with the fact that uh, we know after Patmos he would have, been, would have been quite old and he had to have somewhere to write Revelation as well. So um, Clement also said that John returned to Patmos after the tyrant was dead. They didn't have Twitter then. Uh, that would have been, uh, this is what they think of, the tyrant is dead. You know, that kind of, um, uh, the Roman leader, Eusebius, uh, informs us that the tyrant was none other than Roman emperor Domitian. So after Domitian had died, uh, it said that after the tyrant was dead, John was able to get off the island and go to Patmos uh, because Domitian had still been so angry that he had survived the boiling. But John survives, goes back to Ephesus, and it's interesting, you know, Paul spends a lot of time in Ephesus. Uh, John ends up living out his life in Ephesus. Uh, in addition to the likelihood that John and Revelation were both written in Ephesus near the end of John's life, it's interesting to me that what is the first church that Jesus addresses Speaking to John in the churches, letter to the churches, Ephesus, very first church. So uh, John very likely uh, is kind of uh, the torch bearer of the rest of the church age. Jesus saying, "I'm speaking to the you know Paul was uh, instrumental in getting the church there up and going, and John finishes his life there." But um, only God's, uh, only only John's gospel, by the way and the book of Revelation, interestingly enough, those two books are the only books that refer to Jesus as the Word. John, Revelation, same author. Only John and Revelation refer to Jesus by the name and title, the Lamb. Same author, John, Revelation. The two books are, of course, quite different, and their goal and their intent uh, the book of John further reveals the deity of Jesus and the blood of the Lamb in his first advent, right? So John, the book of John focused on Jesus in the first advent, his coming and walking and talking and preaching and living and dying, the first advent. Whereas Revelation unveils the heavenly and majesty, glory of Jesus, and the wrath of the Lamb in his second advent. Make sense? 
So instead of just the laying down of the lamb, Jesus coming the second time, you have the wrath of the lamb. Jesus as judge. God definitely uses John. Would you not agree God's using John strategically in all of this, stitching it all together, that he would be the writer, and yet, although he uses John, it's still all about who? It's all about Jesus. John's a vessel. It's all about the Lord. And there's one central theme that we'll see throughout John. Let's take a look at the outline of the study that we'll go through. Give you a look at the Imagine if you will. There we go. This is the outline here that we'll look at over the course of 21 chapters. We have the introduction and incarnation of God's Son, which we just read those passages, verses 1 through 18. That's the introduction, the prologue. But more than just introduction, we see just an encapsulation of the incarnation of God's Son. And then we will move into... And chapter, uh, same chapter, chapter 1, verses 19, all the way through chapter 4, uh, the presentation of God's Son. Uh, then we move into chapter 5, the opposition to God's Son. Jesus had a lot of opposition, so don't be surprised if in your life you get lots of opposition. We have the preparation of the disciples by God's Son. We have the rejection and murder of God's Son. We have the resurrection and victory of God's Son. And lastly, we have the concluding witness of God's Son. So seven, seven sections. Uh, the last one's only two verses, so it'll actually get covered uh, there with uh, number six. But nevertheless, that gives you an overview of the 21 chapters. Now John chapter 20, you see I have it up on the screen, verse 31, tells us why the book is written and who it's all about. Do you see it on your, on your screen there? John chapter 20, but these things are written, what? You might believe. John tells us why, because sometimes uh, scholars like to, I wonder why this was written. John says, here it is, I've written all this that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, there's the prominence of that term, Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. Isn't that great to know? This is why... It's written. Throughout John, there's this continuous affirming of who Jesus was and is being God's Son. And this name and title, Son of God, is used more often in the book of John than the other three Gospels. More often here than Matthew, Mark, or Luke use it. Now, Jesus, of course, had an earthly father. We all know that, right? Jesus had an earthly father, Mary's husband. But he didn't have a biological father, Right? He had an earthly father, but not a biological father. Matthew and Luke, they wrote about the unique role and place of Joseph in Jesus' life, Matthew and Luke. But John covers none of the details about Joseph being the father, of the earthly father of Jesus. Interestingly, Mark's gospel never even mentions Joseph one time, whereas uh, John actually does mention Joseph twice, the second of those mentions is in chapter 6, where Jesus expressed that unlike any other person that ever walked the earth, Jesus descended down out of heaven. Those of us with biological fathers, we don't descend down out of heaven. But if your father is God, he descended down out of heaven. 
the incarnation, he declared that he was sent from God the Father, as opposed to everyone else that is conceived by a human father. And even more than that, John, in his opening, and Jesus himself in his teaching, established that it is Jesus, not only the Son of Jesus is not only the Son of God, but he is equal to God. And we'll get into that more next week in verses 1 through 5. That, again, that God in human flesh is what we refer to as the incarnation. So when you hear that term coming up around Christmas, that's what it means. But that Jesus is the Son of God, and uh, John's focus here is again and again to make sure it's burned in our minds, this is God's Son. This is the Son. Matthew centers on Jesus as the King, the eternal King above David. Again, Matthew is written mostly to a Jewish audience mindset, if you will. Mark centers on Jesus as servant. Jesus as a servant. His humility. And Luke centers on Jesus as the Son of Man. The Son of Man. Uh, meaning that uh, He's all God and all man, but that Jesus was the perfect man. So when you read the book of Luke, the Son of Man is the focus. But just like God hits many targets with one arrow, wouldn't you agree with that? God hits many targets with a single arrow. John's Gospel does the same. In addition to the central theme of Jesus being the Son of God, there are seven emphatic I am statements that we'll look at. Seven I am statements. You guys have probably heard of those, but we'll get a chance to look at all of them. The word believe is used nearly 100 times. You think about all the things Americans believe in now. I believe Dr. Fauci. I don't believe Dr. Fauci. I believe Biden. I believe Trump. I believe this. I believe CNN. I believe Fox. I believe this. You know, all, all the things that people believe in. I believe in evolution. I believe in, you know, whatever the religion. I believe in Hinduism. I believe in Islam or whatever it may be. And John is saying, you can put your trust in a gazillion things, but none of them will save your soul. Matter of fact, they will send your soul to hell if you believe in anything but Jesus. So this word believe, very important. We have this on the back of our wall here, we believe. I want us to get back to talking to ourselves, saying, Lord, I believe your truths. I believe your promises. We have this over 100 times mentioned. More than three times the other Gospels combine. Isn't that amazing? The word believe used more than three times the other Gospels. Uh, which in addition to who Jesus is, uh, the Son of God, as I mentioned, uh, used more than the other Gospels. We also have John desiring that we would know Jesus and grow in that belief. So you guys, I already believe in Jesus. Great. God wants that belief to grow even deeper. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God wants you to believe him more now than you did yesterday? And as you get to 2021, that your belief is that much deeper Paul said in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. The Jew first, and also to the Greek or the Gentile. 
to the Jew first, the Greek and Gentile. Now look back at the text for just a second. I know we're not going to do a word verse by verse study, but look back at verse, uh, for example, look at verse 7 in your Bibles. It tells us in verse 7, to bear witness of that light, that all through him might what? Believe. Believe. That all might believe. Verse 12. Verse 12. To them he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. To those who believe. Imperative that we believe. In verse 18, we actually see Him as the Son, the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father. He has declared Him. Declared him. So God says, I want you to believe, believe, believe in my Son. Remember, even when the Spirit descends, this is my Son, hear Him. But not just hear Him, believe in Him. Now, no matter how many times you've read the book of John, and, and I was reminded when I uh, opened up, I, I got this new Bible back in, uh, for Christmas, uh, but I started not having any idea that I was going to do the book of John as a study. I noted in my Bible I started reading John 1-1 January 1st of this year, 2020. And so I get to finish the year in the book of John I started the year personally in the book of John, just in my personal study, and I, I've read the book of John so many times, but I just feel like the Lord is saying to us in this time in American history, in the world, as Jesus' return is getting closer, you better deepen your belief in Jesus. I mean, he could be right at the door, amen? And he's saying, how much do you really believe in me? Christians in China. How much do you believe in me? Christians in North Korea. How much do you believe in Christians in Richmond, Virginia? We know that some of our brothers and sisters around the world, they're clinging to the belief of Jesus. Their very life depends on it. But, uh, you know, we a lot of times are depending on other things. Our bonus check. A stimulus check. Something. Anything. But Jesus is saying through this, uh, through this book, through this gospel, I want you to believe in me. I want you to hear me. I want you to tune your ears and let that belief get deeper and deeper and deeper. You know, when you study the patriarchs, you look at men like Abraham, you look at Moses. Even at their great age, Daniel, um, matter of fact, the lion's den was later in his life. Patmos was late in John's life. If you're getting older here, and I, you know, I'm, I'm I'm young to some of you, and I'm old to others of you. But, uh, you know, it just depends on, it's all a frame of reference. But here's the thing. As you get older, God's like, you're going to need belief more than you think you will. That's how John could face boiling oil. That's how Daniel could face lions. They were old men at that time. They weren't young dudes like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were older, so the belief has to get deeper. And Jesus said, I want to stir this in you. But I also want to just say, as we kind of, kind of close up this wrap-up, and then we're going to take the Lord's Supper together, let's all approach this study with a ready mind. You want to study it, but also a soft heart. Amen? God doesn't want us to be a bunch of theologians, a bunch of monks sitting up in a 
monastery, he wants us to have a soft heart. Because he wants this to, he wants this to be deposited deep in us that that belief is taken outside these four walls. That our belief becomes something that we walk it out. And as we have that soft heart, as my friend Michael Wilder uh, from Adams Road Ministry likes to say, read it like a child. Read it like a child and watch the Spirit of God move in your life. Whether you're walking faithfully and growing right now, and I'm, I'm just speaking to wherever you're at right now, whether you're walking faithfully and growing, or maybe you came in here or you're watching online right now, those of you that are uh, at home, maybe you're holding on for dear life and no one knows it but you, that you're barely hanging on. Which, by the way, can be real growth in your life. Did you know when you're barely hanging on, that's what, where you might grow the most? Why? Because now you have to believe what you say you believe. It's easy to say, yeah, I believe all this when everything's going good, but when it's not and you're holding on for dear life, you find out if you really believe it. That's what John, you know, John had to find out. Do I really? The other apostles, they walk this walk. Will, will I do that? Perhaps you're walking in circles lately. You ever been there? Just going in circles. Or possibly you're here this morning, and if you're honest with the Lord and you're honest with yourself, you've really cooled off spiritually. And probably people around you know that too. They just don't have the heart to say it. Wherever you are, this book is for you. I'm speaking to those of you online as well. This book is for you, wherever you're at. This book, these passages, this study will draw you back or nearer to Jesus if you say, Lord, I'm coming with an soft heart and listening ears. It'll draw you closer to Jesus. If your ears are open, if you truly believe and your heart is willing, God's going to reveal more of the Son of God to you and me. Amen? He will. So I've been saved for years. Could he really reveal something new? You are just getting started. If you're alive, God has a lot more to reveal to you and a lot more to deepen in your belief. Amen? Let's uh, bow our heads. Lord, we just uh, thank you again for giving us this testimony, this word that you want us to understand you more as the Son of God, the great I Am. God made flesh dwelling among us. Lord, the Word of God, the light of the Lamb of God. All of these things, Lord, we're going to look and see all of your attributes and how John so beautifully and eloquently and yet simply describes who you are. But Lord, we don't want to just know these as facts. Lord, we want to, as you mentioned the word believe nearly a hundred times, Lord, we want that word belief to be magnified in our lives. Lord, we want our faith to grow. We want to be strengthened in faith as your word tells us. And so, Lord, I thank you that each and every person has taken the time to be here this morning, Lord, just to uh, prepare their hearts for the opening of this study. And as we uh, move forward in the coming weeks, we pray, Lord, you would reveal to us things we've never seen before. Maybe we've seen them, but they didn't take root. Uh, Lord, that our belief and our faith would grow exponentially. Lord, we're going to need it. Lord, you you've, tell us in your word, Lord, if we grow in faith, Lord, fear will flee. Depression will flee, anxiousness, Lord, uh, self-centeredness, bitterness, all these things, Lord, because 
when you become the center of our life, it pushes everything else out. There's no room when, Lord, you occupy the full center of our heart. Lord, that we know is your desire and we want it to be our desire. And, and before we get into the Lord's Supper together, if your heads are bowed, if there's anyone here um, or online, you say, I, I've never even put my belief you mentioned John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would have eternal life. If there's anyone here and say, I want to just, I know this was an intro, but the Holy Spirit spoke to me in an overview. And something just pricked my heart as like Peter preached in Acts chapter 2. It said, and when they heard these things, they were pricked in their heart. I love that because Peter can't prick people in their heart. Only the Holy Spirit can. And maybe I said something it seemed innocuous to most of you, but somebody here was convicted they need Jesus as their Lord and Savior. If you're here this morning, raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Or even stand right where you're at. Or maybe you're at home, stand in your living room. Anyone at all, I want to just make, give that invitation. Perhaps there's someone here that says, I, I don't want to start this study without first giving my life to Christ. Anyone at all. I don't want to take for granted that we're all believers. I said it could speak to the skeptic, and it can exhort the believer. If you're a skeptic, say, I, I don't want to be a skeptic anymore. I want to be a saved soul. I'm tired of doubting God. Doubt your doubts. Put your faith in Christ. Anyone at all? For the rest of you, I, I, I pray that as we take the Lord's Supper, you kind of recommit. Say, Lord, my belief is not where you would have it to be. It needs to grow again. I've been in a holding pattern. Uh, I've been holding on for dear life. I've just kind of uh, stuck it in neutral. I need the roots to go, grow out again. I mean, if you have a tree, the roots never stop expanding out. My sprinkler system can attest to it wrapping around pipes and everything else. It will just keep going. But in a spiritual sense, that's a good thing. So, Lord, I need the roots to re... I, they need to go farther out again. Because I've kind of soaked up the amount of belief I'm at, and, Lord, the next places where you want to take me. I've never gone that way before. I need to grow in faith and belief. And say, Lord, I'm just representing myself. So if we take the Lord's Supper, just search your heart and say, Lord, help me to take new steps of faith and belief. Amen?